The United States experiments with the idea of getting everybody a COVID passport because, well, nobody pays attention to history anymore. And I mean, that's never been tried before. Come on, people. Don't, don't try to make stuff up here. It's not like people gave out yellow stars in Germany earlier on in the 20th century. But uh, we won't talk about any of that. But we'll talk about what's going on with the passport and what happens there. Ted Cruz is accosted for the fact that he went down to the border and got in a boat and started to look around the facilities and the border crisis. And now they don't want him to release pictures of anything that went on in there. So we'll talk a bit about that. Two teenagers attempt to carjack an Uber Eats driver and wind up killing the guy, but don't worry, he died of an accident. And the ship is free. Well, kinda. So we'll talk a bit about what's going on in the Suez Canal. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to because, like they usually do these past few weeks, they crammed all kinds of fun shit in over the weekend here, and we are going to go over all of that. I think I've got 30 tabs this morning here, just from all the stuff that popped up from the time we turned off the camera on Friday to now, and it's just, it's been a fuck story here. I didn't even know where to start with, but... We will get through it all. We'll talk about what's going on with all of this, and we will see what's going on for Monday night as well. So definitely looking forward to hanging out with you guys and seeing what your commentary is for the day. But before we get started, head on over and bookmark our webpage, freedomscoop.com. Yes, pardon our dust. We are currently under construction right now, but we're getting ready to launch a brand new website to premiere it out on the 24-hour live stream that's coming up. The advertising material has just gone out over on Twitter, and I want to get some up in the Discord as well. Share that shit far and wide. We want to do what we can to save lives here and help end the suicide pandemic, or at least take a big dent out of it as well. I've got a lot of stuff going on for there. We have got a lot of great guests coming on with that as well. So definitely excited to go 24 hours with you guys and... Hear what you guys have to say. Hear what my guests have to say. It's going to be one hell of a stream, and I'm looking forward to that. But also, head on over, since we don't have the convenient place right now, to go and check them out on one webpage. And go check out my friends over at The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, The Freckles and Brit Show, The R-Rated Conservative, and The Breakdown with Birkenhoff. All of those programs will be participating in the 24-hour live stream, except... The Freckles and Brit show because they had previous commitments on that day, unfortunately. I was definitely looking forward and hoping to have them on there, but they will also be supporting as well, so definitely come on over there. Bookmark their pages, go and check out their stuff, and help us support great creators. Alright, I just wanted to open this up here before we got started with anything, and ask you guys what you guys thought would actually happen if something like this went on. So, Olivia PC tweets out this photo of a newsstand, and on the top shelf, you see the uh, social list, but you've got Kamala Harris, then Selena Gomez, then Kamala Harris, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, all over the front of this newsstand here, because don't worry, guys, it is not a cult. This is just grassroots and organic, and everybody loves Kamala Harris. That's why she got such a popular vote in the primary, and she only got defeated 
by Joe Biden because he was more saintly and more amazing. Most popular president, president ever. Just don't question it, just accept it. He is the most popular. Don't question anything, I swear. Olivia PC tweets out with a photo, LOL, in what world would this happen to a Republican? Well, it wouldn't. That would all be meltdown stuff and horrible stuff and horrifying stuff that goes along with that there. But don't worry, everybody. It's not a cult. It's not a religion, and it's not a cult. All right. Let's get into the finance of the morning here. Starting with the Dow Jones tracker. It looks like the Dow Jones went through, it stayed up throughout the majority of Friday and went back to above its 33,000 mark after a major spike at the end of the day here. So everything went up on Friday. We'll talk a bit about what's going on there. Uh, the futures, though, look like they might be going in the other direction. So we'll track that as well. Looking at your Bitcoin. Bitcoin took a sharp, sharp jump. Let's actually bring up this graph here throughout the day. Up to 58,137 US dollars and 50 US cents. And it's another thing. It looks like the stocks are going down and the crypto is going, going up because, well, would you trust the US dollar right now? I sure as hell don't. But we'll see what's going on with that. As far as the gas goes, Madison, Wisconsin, this, or today rather, slight downtick in a couple of stations here, the Costco in Sun Prairie and the Speedway in Windsor both dropped to 252. Looks like everybody else is holding steady at 253 once again. Oh, we got a, another 252 here. That's up in Sun Prairie. Everything in Madison proper is appearing to come out at 253. A far cry from the 99 cents we saw at this time last year. I just got a Snapchat. Uh, you know, they were coming out and reviewing what uh, the stories were back from last year when the gas started coming way way down after we started locking everything down off of this and that was back when it was still above a dollar because it showed i've got i always tell you i've got a 33 gallon tank in my truck and according to the picture i put 32 gallons in at 34.11 at this time last year as of well as of yesterday last year so just to give you an idea what the gas price difference is between the two years. Now, I know it's not just politics that go into this either, because there were other extenuating circumstances. Remember that uh, we had the uh, oil war that was going on between Russia and the Middle East at the time as well. And both of them had the spigots on at full blast and were running out of place to store the oil too. So it's not just politics. Well, I guess that is technically politics, but it's not just U.S. politics that's affecting this, but that is definitely taking hold as we're cutting down the Keystone Pipeline and turning off the tap and making sure that we have to go to these OPEC countries instead of being self-reliant. But that's all political commentary that, unfortunately, we don't have time to go into today because we've got so many other stories to get to. All right, reading from IBD, Investor's Business Daily for the morning. Dow futures fall as Bitcoin surges. Boeing jumps on MaxJet, uh, MaxJet News rather, while Tesla drops from Scott Latonin. Dow Jones futures, along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ 100 futures, traded lower early Monday. As Bitcoin surged near all-time highs, Boeing rallied on MaxJet News, while Tesla stock dropped in the pre-market trade. Alphabet and Facebook are approaching new buy points in the current stock market rally. 
Among the Dow Jones leaders, Apple fell 0.2% in pre-market on Monday, while Microsoft moved down 0.1% in today's stock market. Boeing is back in a buy range following a recent breakout. Shares climbed nearly 3% in morning trade. Tesla fell nearly 1% in pre-market on Monday. Among the top stocks to watch, FANG leaders Alphabet and Facebook are approaching a new buy point. Alphabet was featured in last week's Stocks Near Buy Zone column. Alphabet and Microsoft are IBD leaderboard stocks. Ahead of the stock market open on Monday, Dow Jones futures fell a half percent versus fair value. S&P 500 futures lost 0.4%. NASDAQ 100 futures moved down 0.2%. And remember, trading in Dow Jones futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. On Friday, the 10-year Treasury yield jumped to 1.66%. Closing near recent highs early Monday, the 10-year Treasury yield dipped to 1.648%. Among exchange-traded funds, the innovator IBD50 was not active. Pre-market Monday, the NASDAQ 100 tracker Invesco QQQ Trust ETF lost 0.1% Monday. Meanwhile, the SPDR S&P 500 ETF moved down 0.3% ahead of the stock market open. So, a little bit of stuff going on here. Looks like everything's pointed down, but not a lot of detail as to what's happening with that. So, let's see if MarketWatch has anything else to say with this. Dow futures stumble amid reports of an investment fund's massive margin call. From Mark DeCamber. U.S. stock futures were trading on the back foot early Monday, following reports that a large investment fund was forced to sell massive holdings in stocks. Some fear could ripple through the broader market. However, futures appear only marginally lower in the face of the news that the former Tiger Asia manager Bill Wang's Archigos Capital Management had unwound big bets late last week. Futures for the Dow Jones Industrial Average were at 32,830, down 124 points. S&P 500 futures were off at 12.80 points to reach 39,52. NASDAQ 100 futures were off 7.75 points to reach uh, 12,959, a decline of less than 0.1%. On Friday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average notched a 1.4% increase, the S&P 500 added 1.66%, and the NASDAQ Composite fell 0.6%. Markets are headed modestly lower, but appear to be taking stride reports that Huang's Archegos Capital Management sold some $30 billion in holdings, momentarily sending shockwaves throughout the market, according to the Wall Street Journal, citing people familiar. Last Friday, the sales drove shares of Discovery and Viacom to register their worst one-day declines on record, even as the broader market finished sharply higher to cap a turbulent trading week. Global investment banks Credit Suisse Group and Nomura Holdings on Monday said they were likely to take a hit from the margin call due to the volatility in the market, but didn't directly name Huang's fund. A significant U.S.-based hedge fund defaulted on margin calls made last week by Credit Suisse and certain other banks, the Credit Suisse said. Following the failure of the fund to meet these margin commitments, Credit Suisse and a number of other banks are in the process of exiting these positions. It now appears, according to the reports, that the sell-off was a result of a liquidation from a fund called Archicos Capital Management after some of its positions moved offside, 
raising some concerns about a trickle-down effect to other stocks, wrote Michael Hewson, Chief Market Analyst at CMC Markets. We'll see whether those concerns are well-founded. Later today, he wrote. The buzz around the margin call comes at the start of the holiday shortened week. As investors brace for a fresh round of volatility, some markets will be closed in observance of Good Friday, including those in the U.S. and some European markets, will remain closed next week for Easter Monday. So we will have four, count them, four days where the stock market's going to stay the same. And we'll look at a little bit of what IBD is saying on those days, but for the most part, Monday's going to be a pretty quiet day on the finance market, and we will have contemporary on Monday, too, keep in mind. <clears throat> Meanwhile, investors were also watching news that Tugs had partially dislodged the 1,300-foot MV Evergiven, operated by Taiwan-based Evergreen Group, which has been blocking the Suez Canal one of the busiest trading waterways in the world, causing massive log jams. This could help to reopen the vital trade route that accounts for some 12% of global trade. And we'll be talking about that later on in the show as well. I've got a marker for that. So it looks like this massive liquidation that they did is part of what's driving all this down. And I don't know what all caused this. It looks like maybe it's just some stuff moved off the side. And some of that could actually have to do with this massive ship that's blocking trading lanes right now. So there's a lot of stuff to look at with this. And we'll see what happens throughout the week. And remember, it's a shortened week too. So a lot of stuff going on here. A lot of stuff to see. And hopefully your retirements are in a good place where you don't have to worry about this much of a crash. Or even more of a crash if it happens that way. All right, let's start off with the big news here. And guys, I'm going to need your papers. Your papers, please, folks. Please. If you want to do business with Contemporary, I need to see that you've been vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, I can't even say that with a straight face right now. All right, let's start with Fox Business for the day. Biden administration working with industry to develop COVID-19 passports as vaccinations progress. From Frank Miles. Along with private technology and travel companies, the Biden admin is working to develop credentials referred to as passports, health certificates, or travel passes showing proof of vaccination as individuals and businesses emerge from the lockdown, the Washington Post reported on Sunday. Airline and business groups have been lobbying the White House to take the lead in setting standards for health passes they believe that would avoid a hodgepodge of regional credentials that could cause confusion among travelers and prevent any single health certificate from being widely accepted. According to the Washington Post, the administration's efforts are housed in offices of Health and Human Services, with the White House this month taking a bigger role coordinating government agencies involved in the work, led by coronavirus coordinator Jeff Zients. Our role is to help ensure that any solutions in this area be simple, free, open source, accessible to people both digitally and on paper, and designed from the start to protect the people's privacy, Zients said at a March 12th briefing. Have you got your yellow star yet? The passports offer a glimpse of the future after months of COVID-19 restrictions. Officials say getting vaccinated and having proper documentation. Does this sound Dacronian to anybody else at this point? We'll smooth the way to travel, entertainment, and other social gatherings in a post-pandemic world. 
but it also raises concerns about dividing the world along the lines of wealth and vaccine access, creating ethical and logistical issues for decision makers around the world. A chaotic and ineffective vaccine credential approach could hamper our pandemic response by undercutting health safety measures, slowing economic recovery, and undermining public trust and confidence, reads one slide at a March 2nd conference. Prepared by the Oval Office, or I'm sorry, not the Oval Office, the Office of National Coordinator for Health Information Technology. There are private sector initiatives creating passports. The trade group for Global Airlines, the International Air Transport Association, is testing a version it calls Travel Pass. IBM is developing another called Digital Health Pass currently. The Digital Pass allows New Yorkers to download proof of vaccination or negative COVID-19 tests. The app is similar to a mobile airline boarding pass and uses a secure QR code that can be stored in a smartphone or printed out, officials say the technology doesn't store or track private health data within the app. That's fucking bullshit. Furthermore, this comes out to another way that people can track you going anywhere that you want to go. Oh, hey, look, this guy went out and scanned his, uh, his COVID pass. Oh, he was here, he was here, he was here. You know all these workarounds that we always see, you know, with your smartphone recording everything that you say and the Patriot Act and everything else that goes along with that at this point? Yeah, let's... Oh. You don't think this is going to be used as a workaround for the Fourth Amendment? It is not clear, however, whether any of the passports under development will be accepted broadly around the world and the result could be confusion among travelers and disappointment for the travel industry. Airlines and other support, uh, others rather support the so-called vaccine passports as a means of getting the government to lift pandemic restrictions that were designed to curb the virus, but caused a collapse in the travel industry. Vaccine passports will be the most common on international flights. Some countries already require proof of vaccination for diseases, such as yellow fever, and the U.S. is now requiring a negative test for COVID-19 to enter the country, unless you come across the southern border. And you have to sneak in as well. The Vaccination Credential Initiative is a coalition trying to standardize tracking data of vaccination records in an attempt to speed up a return to normal. The busboy, the janitor, the waiter that works at the restaurant wants to be surrounded by employees that are going back to work safely and wants to have the patrons ideally be safe as well, said Brian Anderson, a physician at Mitra, a company helping to lead the initiative, creating an environment for those vulnerable populations to get back to work safely and to know that the people coming back to their businesses are safe and vaccinated would be a great scenario. Once again, do you have your yellow star? This is just draconian on a level that, and I can't believe people don't see this either. I mean, what happens next to those of us who don't go? Do we just, do we not get to eat? Do we not get to go to the store? Do we not to get to get to go out anywhere? Do we not get to go to work? Do we just starve to death? Or do we go off to the showers? This is, this is a level above and beyond. So if you have any way to write to your congresspeople, it's time. This is too far. And I love the fact that, well, this doesn't store any of your health data. Bullshit. Bull fucking shit. 
It's just like the registry. They want to know every place that you are, every place that you've scanned. They want to be able to track you. And, hey, they're definitely not going to sell that to advertisers either. This, this is a step too far. Not only that, it appears that some of this has actually already been implemented. I've got this one from the USA Today, which I actually archived and brought back up right before we went live because just before I put up the message that says contemporary starts right now, I saw that Tim Pool tweeted this story out and I wanted to talk about it. Archived from the USA Today, New York launches nation's first vaccine passports. Others are working on similar ideas, but many details must be worked out. From Karen Weintraub and Elizabeth Weiss. Starting Friday, New Yorkers will be able to pull up a code on their cell phone. I am going to laugh my ass off if it turns into a yellow star. Or a printout to prove that they've been vaccinated against COVID-19 or recently tested negative for the virus that causes it. The first in the nation certification, called the Excelsior Pass, will be useful first at large-scale venues like Madison Square Garden, but next week will be accepted at dozens of event, arts, and entertainment venues statewide. It already enables people to increase the size of a wedding party or other catered event. Yes, the government's giving you permission to have your freedom because you were a good boy and you got a treat. I saw one that's floating around Instagram, and I'm probably going to actually load it up to put it on the Red Net Show tonight when we talk about this as well. I might move this to a main topic because this is huge. I just finished up the itinerary, but this, this might be main topic level stuff. Elaine currently has it as a lightning round item, but this is, this is main topic level. <clears throat> but uh, it shows a dog, and it says... Does what it's told, gets a treat. And then it shows the woman with the vaccine card and her Krispy Kreme donut and the mask around her neck and says, does what it's told, gets a treat. The app, championed by Governor Andrew Cuomo to support the recovery of industries most affected by the pandemic, is funded by the state and available for free to businesses and anyone with vaccination records or test results in New York. Like an airline boarding pass, people will be able to prove their health status with a digital QR code or a quick response machine readable label. They'll need to download the Excelsior Pass app, enter their name, date of birth, zip code, and you don't think this is a workaround for the Fourth Amendment, and answer a series of personal questions to confirm their identity. The data will come from the state's vaccine registry and will also be linked to testing data from a number of pre-approved testing companies. The New York system, built on IBM's Digital Health Pass platform, is provided via blockchain technology. So neither IBM nor any business will have access to private medical information. Holy fuck. Oh my god. Once again, we are back to Draconian. And I don't buy for a second that IBM or the government won't have access to your private health information. No, I don't buy that for a second. An entertainment venue will simply scan the QR code and get a green check or a red X. The new pass is part of a growing but disjointed effort to provide vaccine passports or certifications so people won't have to hang onto a dog-eared piece of paper 
worry about privacy issues or forgeries, or fork over extra cash to prove they're not contagious. In addition to IBM, open source computer experts who provide code anyone can use for free have been developing such systems as have retailers like Walmart, which is also offering a digital proof of vaccination to anyone who gets a shot in one of its pharmacies. The biggest challenge will be linking these systems together so people won't need different apps for every venue or use. Open source computer app kits already have been collaborating to figure out how to piece together the different pieces of the puzzle said Brian Bellendorf, Executive Director of Linux Foundation of Public Health, an industry-proven consortium that builds open-source software. It's really the nerds getting together in kind of a nerd UN to piece all this together, he said. New York hasn't worked out the connectivity issues yet, but he hopes to eventually, as well as linking tickets to the Excelsior Pass so people going to an event at Madison Square Garden, for example, will be able to link their admission and health passes rather than fumbling with multiple apps. Are you guys afraid yet? Because, yeah, this is, this is a step beyond. This is, wow. I can't believe we've come to this. I can't believe we got here. I really can't. And it's amazing to see. Especially, and this is the one that gets me. The people that are supporting this, went back and called Trump and everybody who even dared to vote for Trump, a Nazi, for the entire four-year presidency. And they don't see the parallels that's going, that are going on with this. Let that sink in to your head for just a moment. And none shall buy or sell unless he carries the mark of the beast. All right, we got to keep going here, but this is this is just amazing that this is happening. So pay attention. Like I said, it's time to start petitioning your local officials, both left and right at this point. There is no left or right at this point. You need to come out and say, this is us versus you guys. And if you guys aren't going to cater to us, who pay your wages and taxes. It might be time to start thinking about something else before a lot of us are getting on the fucking boxcars. Because I'm starting to think that that's next. All right, let's keep going. I got one from the Daily Wire, speaking of COVID. Biden admin preparing another COVID relief bill despite passing a trillion dollar aid package from Emily Zanotti. The Biden White House is planning to push forward with another massive coronavirus relief bill despite having just passed and signed a trillion dollar relief package, two trillion, two trillion, 1.9, Press Secretary Jen Psaki told Chris Wallace on Sunday. The bill's $1,400 individual stimulus relief is barely in America's bank accounts, but the Biden admin says it wants further stimulus payments as well as increased funding for healthcare and education to industries that received major handouts in the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Is there video? No, there's no video. That's lame. All right, let's keep going. 
When the president advocated for the American Rescue Plan, he talked about this being two stages. Rescue, then recovery. What the American people will hear from this week is part of his plan. The first step toward his plans towards recovery, which will include an investment in infrastructure. You've got another new deal coming. Just keep that in mind. That's what this says right here. This is this is your new deal. They're not building roads and bridges that we need. We're building roads and bridges that we might need in the future to put poor, uh, more people to work and get them spending money. This is FDR economics on fucking steroids. Biden is, in fact, scheduled to debut a multi-trillion dollar infrastructure investment bill later this week during a trip to Pennsylvania, but the president had yet to specify whether the initiative was also a COVID-19 relief project. According to Saki, it may in fact be the first over several pandemic-oriented bills, all with price tags over $1.9 trillion more than Biden's first bill. And there we have it. We are now spending more money that's ever, or than has ever been created on planet Earth. The next major initiative is, and I'll be announcing on Friday in Pittsburgh. Uh, I'll be announcing on Friday in Pittsburgh in detail is to rebuild the infrastructure, both the physical and the technological infrastructure of this country, so so that we can compete and create significant numbers of really really good-paying jobs. Biden said during his press conference last Thursday. Fox News notes that the specific contours of the next big-ticket spending package are still unclear, but the measure is widely expected to include a slew of uh, tax hikes, including raising the corporate tax rate to 28% from 21%, increasing the income tax in, on individuals, making more than $400,000, expanding the estate tax, the death tax, creating a higher capital gains tax rate for individuals earning at least a million dollars annually, and paring back tax uh, preferences for so-called pass-through businesses. The bill, though, is already being packed full of non-infrastructure spending. Democrats plan to use the $3 trillion bill to sneak through changes to drug policy, environmental policy, and even immigration, according to Politico. The Congressional Hispanic Caucus wants to include the White House's immigration bill, which would offer a path to citizenship for 11 million people who have been living in the U.S., the outlet noted on Friday, adding that other Democrats see the bill as a way to push through parts of the Green New Deal. Well, it's already going to be a new deal, so what's the difference? Saki's comments, though, went beyond even the infrastructure bill. According to the press secretary, the Biden White House will be working on a second bill to, pre to be presented rather in April. He's going to have more to say later in April, and the second part of his recovery plan, which will include a number of the pieces you've talked about, health care, child care, addressing that. It's a crisis right now. The number of women who have left the workplace... We want them to circle back into the workplace, Saki told Wallace. The total package, we're still working out. So there's more money coming back out of you, and you think that this is actually going to get covered by only taxing anybody who makes just a touch under a half a million dollars a year? You're out of your mind. You're out of your... This is more money. This is more debt-to-GDP ratio than we've ever seen in history. And they just want to keep printing fucking more. And nobody sees a problem with this. 
All right, let's keep going. Let's talk about some more COVID stuff. WHO in China report claims that coronavirus lab leak extremely unlikely suggests animal-human transmission. This comes to Fox News via the Associated Press. A joint WHO-China study on the origins of COVID-19 says the transmission of the virus from bat, uh, bats to humans rather, through another animal is the most likely scenario and that a lab leak is an extremely unlikely, according to a draft copy obtained by the AP. The findings offer little new insight into how the virus began to spread around the globe, and many questions remain unanswered, though that was as expected. But the report did provide more detail on the reasoning behind the researchers' conclusions. The team proposed further research in every area except the lab leak hypothesis. No, no, don't look over here. No, no, no labs. No, no, it, it is totally animal-to-human transmission. The report's release has been repeatedly delayed, raising questions about whether the Chinese side was trying to skew the conclusions to prevent blame from the pandemic falling on China. A WHO official said late last week that he expected it would be ready for release in the next few days. The AP received a copy on Monday from a Geneva-based diplomat from a WHO member country. It wasn't clear whether the report might still be changed prior to release, though the diplomat said it was the final version. A second diplomat confirmed getting the report, too. Both refused to be identified because they were not authorized to release it ahead of publication. The WHO did not immediately respond to emails and phone calls seeking comment. The researchers listed four scenarios in order of likelihood for the emergence of the coronavirus named SARS-CoV-2, which, interestingly enough, I listened to another... Uh, Another talk over the weekend here, which pointed out the fact that this is only a uh, very slight mutation against SARS-CoV-1. So this is basically, this is SARS over again. Topping the list was transmission from bats through another animal, which they said was likely to be very likely. They evaluated direct spread from bats to humans as likely and said that spread through cold chain food products was possible but not likely. Bats are known to carry coronaviruses and in fact are the closest relatives of the virus that causes COVID-19. has been found in bats, however the report says the evolutionary distance between these bat viruses and SARS-CoV-2 is estimated to be several decades suggesting a missing link. So China doesn't want you to look at the lab, just don't worry about the lab, nothing there, nothing to see here. It's totally just a bat breathed on a human. All right, let's keep going. From the New York Post, uh, shifting gears here, let's go talk about the southern border. Trump says he will probably visit the southern border in coming weeks from Morgan Phillips. Originally published by Fox News. Former President Trump sat down with Judge Jeanine Pirro for an exclusive interview that will air on Fox News' Justice with Jeanine on Saturday at 9 p.m. A lot of people want me to visit the border, Trump told Pirro. In the interview, Trump says that he will probably visit the southern border over the next few weeks. Trump called Biden's undoing of the Remain in Mexico policy or the Migrant Protection Protocol a it's a very bad decision, okay? It's the worst decision. I, I make great decisions. I make the best decisions. And this, 
This is what you see in here. This is a very bad decision, okay? The Trump administration set up an expanded MPP during the 2019 migrant crisis as part of a broader agreement with Mexico and hailed it as a key plank in its effort to end catch and release by which uh, migrants were released into the interior of the U.S. Instead, MPP keeps migrants in Mexico. As they await their asylum hearings, proponents say the policy ended a key pull factor that brought migrants north, whilst critics say it is cruel and puts migrants in danger by leaving them in Mexico. Boy, I'd love to see what you guys think about Mexico. As numerous uh, of you go to fucking Cabo. Thousands and thousands of people are coming up right now as we speak. And you're going to have millions of people pouring into our country. And it's going to destroy our country, Trump told Pirro. Trump said the first thing Biden should do is reenact the Remain in Mexico policy and complete the border wall. Let's have a listen. It was on his 65th day in office that Joe Biden decided to hold his first press conference, the longest delay by a president in 100 years. I came away wondering if even he knew what he said, because most of it made no sense to me. The biggest issue seemed to be immigration, as the number of children being trafficked by coyotes across our southern border continues to rise. The number of unaccompanied minors rose 60% over January to more than 9,400. But President Joe Biden tells us he has everything under... Yeah, we're not going to watch that whole eight-minute clip. Never mind. President Biden has said that Mexico is refusing to take in all the families that the U.S. tries to expel after they attempt to cross at the southern border. Biden said that his administration is in negotiations with Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. That's a lot of names. On the matter. Some families are, are not going back to Mexico. Is refusing to take them back. Some, not all, the president said at his first news conference on Thursday. We're in negotiations with, with Mexico. That's, that's... What's my line? That's going to change. They should all be going back, he continued. Last week, Trump accused Biden of causing the death and uh, human tragedy by undoing some of his border policies, which Biden had deemed inhumane. We proudly handed the Biden administration the most secure border in history, okay? I know security. I know borders. I have the best border, okay? The statement reads... All they had to do was keep the smooth running system on autopilot. Instead, in the span of just a few weeks, the Biden administration has turned a national triumph into a national disaster. They're in way over their heads and taking on water fast. So, that's uh, that's what we see for that there. And he does say that he's going to go down there and visit it himself. Let's see what the blaze has to say. Texas Democrat leaks uh, new photos of children being held at packed migrant facility. We're feeling the brunt. From Paul Saka. New photos have been released that show dozens of children who are packed into migrant facilities at the U.S. southern border. The eye-opening photos were shared by Democratic Rep. Henry Quiller from Texas, who said the unaccompanied minors were detained by Border Patrol for far longer than the 72-hour legal time limit. After 72 hours, minors are supposed to be transferred to a Health and Human Services facility. 
Weller appeared on CBS's Face the Nation on Sunday, where he revealed the packed conditions at migrant facilities. Miners are seen from wall to wall with no space for social distancing and laying on the floor with Mylar blankets. But don't worry, the president isn't sending out mean tweets. The Democratic congressman said there were groups of over 100 individuals coming into the Border Patrol custody. Every single day, he said that it is nearly impossible to reduce the numbers of people at the detention facilities when there are hundreds of people illegally crossing the U.S. border every day. Quiller said that unaccompanied children are being moved into migrant facilities, but at first the priority was given to young boys. For example, Carrizo Springs has young boys from 13 to 17, Quiller told host. Margaret Brennan, San Diego is going to be now taking 500 of the young girls, or have taken that. Quailer said family units are being released into the U.S., which has caused a burden on the border communities, the cities, the count, uh, counties, the NGOs, he said. We're feeling the brunt of what's happening with the family units. Queller admitted that he gets more information about the current border crisis from Mexico than the Biden admin and hasn't been in contact with Vice President Kamala Harris since November, despite her being appointed to take the lead on the migrant surge. Uh, let's see if this is of a decent length. More than 18,000 unaccompanied children are being held in federal custody. Pictures from inside a Customs and Border Patrol facility in Donna, Texas, that you are seeing right now, show children waiting to be processed, held in overcrowded conditions, sitting on the floor with foil blankets. These images have been shared with us by Congressman Henry Cuellar of Texas, a Democrat who joins us from Laredo. Good morning to you, Congressman. Good morning to you, Margaret. Um, I want to talk about some of these pictures um, that you have shared with us and, and start with some of the others. The pictures that we want to put up on screen right here, um, you say that they show dozens of young girls who have been held for far longer than the 72-hour legal time limit. Why are these young girls being held for that long? Where are they going? What is their status? Well, certainly, uh, first of all, Border Patrol does not want to keep people there longer than 72 hours. But there's two issues, uh, two factors coming into play. One, there's so many number. Uh, there's a large number of people coming across every single day. Groups of uh, over a hundred individuals coming in into the Border Patrol uh, custody. Number one. Number two, uh, the flow through that is through HSS. Uh, they're moving and they're trying to get more shelters open. For example, the one in San Diego, uh, the one in Carrizo Springs, uh, San Antonio is going to have two places, different places. So they got to flow those people out as soon as possible. And what we're seeing is at, at first the priority was given to young boys. For example, Carrizo Springs uh, has young boys from 13 to 17. Uh, San Diego is, is going to be now uh, taking uh, 500 of the young girls or have taken that. They've been flown from there. Uh, they were supposed to fly out 700, but only 500 went out. So the other 200 are part of the over 5,000 individuals that they have only in the Rio Grande. And out of the 5,000 plus that they have at the Rio Grande, 65%, uh, about 65% are unaccompanied kids. All right, so that's what Quiler has to say about, uh, is it is it Quiler? I don't even know how to pronounce that, but uh, that's what he has to say about this. And for him to come out and then leak photos like this, well, first off, that's got to 
pissed the Biden administration right the fuck off. Because the press is not supposed to be allowed into this. And this is, I mean, this is horrifying. Plexiglass uh, cages. Let's actually get this open so you guys can see it. That's <clears throat> the Biden admin called the Remain in Mexico policy inhumane. How is this humane? How in God's and not to mention the fact that we're supposedly under the deadliest pandemic the world has ever known, ten times worse than the Spanish flu. How is any of this humane sanitary that's not six feet between these people? This is supposed to kill you instantly if you, ever, if you ever catch the disease and you have to stay at least six feet apart from people in order to keep from catching the disease. And that's not six feet between people. So I'm sure that somebody from the executive branch is going to be out and having a talking to with, uh, with this dude. There's, there's more of it. There's still more of it. And they laughed Ted Cruz out for the fact that he decided to go down to the border and have a look for himself as well. Let's talk a bit about that. From the New York Post, Biden staffer blocks Ted Cruz from taking video at migrant facility from Evie Fordham. And there's another one. They're lined up like, well, enchiladas. Yeah, that's probably going to get me taken off the air, but still. And I'm not saying this as, I mean, trying to make a racial joke out of this. Have you ever made enchiladas? You just kind of wrap them up and you line them in there, just like these kids are getting lined in. That's, that's horrifying. Originally published once again by Fox News, Senator Ted Cruz showed exclusive video of a woman he identifies as a Biden administration staffer, blocking him from recording at a migrant facility on Sunday Morning Futures. Cruz and John Cornyn, both uh, Texas Republicans, led a delegation of senators to Donna, Texas, where migrants have been packed into facilities designed for a much smaller number of people. The senators were touring a migrant holding facility in the city. Please give dignity to these people. Please give dignity to the people. Please respect the people and the rules, the staffer told Cruz while blocking his camera with their face. Does that look like fucking dignity to you? Because that looks like a pack of human burritos to me. That's not fucking dignity. The staffer told Cruz while blocking his camera with her face. So, you work for the commissioner, you're a senior advisor, you were hired two weeks ago, and you're instructed to ask us not to have... Any pictures taken here because of the political leadership at DHS doesn't want the American people to know what Cruz said. Please don't treat the people as such, the staffer responded. Your policies are unfortunately trying to hide them. I understand. Back. We are back. I apologize for the uh, drop in connection that we had going on there that uh, appears to be everything froze up, and uh, that's what we saw. Remember that new computer fund is a. Uh, Sitting down below, you can throw a couple bucks into the PayPal and help us get to the goal that we're trying to get to. Or the subscribe star as well. 
All right, back to where we were going with this, though, and back to what we were talking about before we got rudely cut off here. Yeah, these are the pictures that the Biden admin doesn't want you to see. This is why they won't allow the press. This is the CBP facility in Donna, Texas. This is a humanitarian and public health crisis, and it's, it's horrifying what's happening here. Let's see if we can figure out how to get connected back up. Okay, yeah, we're back up. We're back up, everybody. Apologize for the delay. Republican senators on Friday released shocking visuals of migrants and children packed into border facilities as they railed against what they called a border crisis of President Biden's own creation. Crews posted images of migrants crammed into pens almost on top of one another. The Donna facility where they, or that video you've just showed was taken. The Donna facility is this giant tent city that they've built. It's massive. It's designed to hold a thousand people, but under COVID restrictions, its capacity is 250. It right now has over 4,000 people in it. It is at a 1,500% capacity. And that meant that you saw these Cages, children, little boys and little girls, side by side. They're not six feet apart, Cruz said on Sunday. So this is... I don't even want to imagine what this is like. Kami fucking Koof aside, they're still packed in there like sardines. How do you do the? How do you justify something like this? I, I, I have to ask that question. How do you justify something like this? I, I can't even begin to imagine any of this. This is horrific. All right, I got another one here from The Blaze. Speaking of the administration. Chris Wallace blasts Jen Psaki over border crisis, media blackout, less transparent than Trump. No, no, this is going to be the most transparent, and Trump was completely opaque. He wouldn't let anybody see anything that he was doing. Except for the fact that he blasted it out on Twitter every fucking day. To the point you were actually a little bit nervous about national secrets. Not that I think we should have any national secrets, but don't necessarily want China to know them, you know? From Chris Enlow. Fox News host Chris Wallace grilled White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki Sunday over the Biden admin's handling of the border crisis, confronting her over allegations that officials are blocking media from disseminating critical information related to migrants and the condition of migrant detention facilities. Journalists have accused the Biden admin of blocking media access to document the border crisis. Award-winning photojournalist John Moore said he was even forced to photograph the crisis from the Mexico side of the U.S.-Mexico border. I have photographed CBP under Bush, Obama, and Trump, but now zero access is granted to the media, Moore said earlier this month. Until now, U.S. photojournalists haven't even needed to stand in another country to photograph what's happening in the U.S. In fact, NBC News reported that the Biden admin enacted an unofficial gag order on Customs and Border Protection agents, limiting what information they can share with journalists, restricting the media access to migrant facilities. Homeland Security uh, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has denied such an order exists. While being interviewed on Fox News Sunday, Wallace confronted Saki and pointed out that the Biden admin is being less transparent than the Trump administration. 
Wallace began by acknowledging the fact that Americans only know about the conditions of the migrant detention centers because members of Congress, who have toured some facilities, released pictures of the detention centers. These kids are li living in these conditions right now. They're not living in these conditions, some intermediate from time to time. When the president says everything will be fixed, Wallace said, so why not allow reporters and camera crews on a pool basis safely to take pictures and show the American people what's happening in those Border Patrol facilities right now? Saki circled back and claimed that Biden, Mayorkas, and the entire admin was absolutely committed to providing media access. When? Wallace shot back. Saki claimed the administration provided Fox News with access to the facility last week, adding the Biden admin is not blocking media from the facilities, but rather is limiting access because of the COVID-19 pandemic. For the same reason that they're packing them in as tight as they can to make sure they can ho um, host as many of them as they can. However, Wallace pointed out that Fox News was not granted access to the Border Patrol Migrant Detention Facility, but a different facility operated by the Department of Health and Human Services. Just to clarify, Jen, you allowed camera crew to see HHS facilities? What we're talking about here are the Border Patrol facilities, the detention cells. Wallace pointed out as Saki attempted to interrupt, There's a law, let me just finish. They're not allowed to be there for more than 72 hours, and many of them are there for 10 days. At this point, in terms of allowing access to Border Patrol facilities for reporters, you're being less transparent than the Trump administration, Wallace added. When Biden was confronted over the media access issue last week, by uh, asked by a reporter, specifically when journalists would be granted additional access to document migrant conditions, Biden responded, I don't know, man. And I mean, where's the lie? That's the question, once again, that I, you got to ask is, where's the lie? Because they've come out and said that they're not going to be allowing access in any of this. They've point blank said it. All right, we got to keep going, though. I got one from TMZ. Mar-a-Lago wedding speech. Enough about the couple. Let's talk about me. It's been over four months since the November election, and Trump is still acting like a sore loser that or a belligerent wedding guest. Check out the video. We got a former president all tucked up for a reception that went down Saturday night at Trump's Fortress of Solitude, Mar-a-Lago. <clears throat> it was a fortress of solitude. He wouldn't be hosting a fucking wedding there, you fucking twit. Where the former chief himself got on the mic at one point to say a few words for the happy couple, John and Megan Arrigo, but the speech would have nothing to do with the couple. It's all about him. You know, I just got, I turned off the news, I get all these flash reports, and they're telling me about the border, they're telling me about China, they're telling me about Iran. How are we doing with Iran? I didn't like that. Well, they weren't ready to make it, you know, they would have done anything, they would have done anything, and this guy goes and drops the sanctions, and then he says, we'd like to negotiate now. We're not dealing with the United States, and they don't want to deal with us. And China, the same thing, they never treated us that way, right? You saw what happened a few days ago, it was terrible. And uh, the border's not good. The border is the worst anybody's ever seen it. And what you see now, multiply it times 10, Jim. You would know how to handle it. He's the only one I know that might handle the border tougher than me. 
But we have to, and the topic is in the most humanitarian way, because that's what it is. What's happening to the kids, they're living in squalor. They are living like nobody has ever seen anybody. There's never been anything like what's happening. And you're gonna have hundreds, and you have it now. They have the airplane photos, the shops, and they call them shops. And these things are showing thousands and thousands of people coming up from South America. And it's gonna be, it's just... Uh... So, yeah, honestly, don't care for this really don't you know we sit back and criticize obama about being the me president well you know the only reason that we had such a good economy under trump is because of me and i made health care and me 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 i i did this you didn't do that the government did this i did this me me it's me it's all me we criticize Obama for doing this, and then his successor goes and pulls shit like this. Just let him back on social media at this point so he stops doing shit like this. Except for that's the only thing the news would be covering. That's one of the things I do like about the fact that Trump is not on social media right now, and I dread the fact that he's actually coming up and he's going to be making his own social media company at this point. And he's going to be on it as well as the fact that the media can't make him the center of the story right now. And you know they would love to because then we wouldn't have to sit back and see what's happening on the border. And they wouldn't be able, or they wouldn't have to go and cover that or try to get access to that right now. They could just say, well, this is what the former president tweeted. Isn't he a fucking Nazi? But yeah, this, that was an absolute poor taste. I'm sorry. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Pete Buttigieg got in the news today. Transportation uh, Secretary Pete Buttigieg says taxing, uh, taxing drivers by the mile shows a lot of promise and could be a way to fund a big infrastructure overhaul. Let's have a listen to what Mayor Pete has to say. What about a mileage-based tax? So I think that shows a lot of promise. If, if we believe in that so-called user-pays principle, the idea that part of how we pay for roads is you pay based on how much you drive, uh, the gas tax used to be the obvious way to do it. It's not anymore. So a so-called vehicle miles traveled tax or mileage tax, whatever you want to call it, could be a way to do it. A lot more reporting and a lot more ways for the government to try and push you to not drive. Don't you love the government telling you what you can and cannot do or where you can and cannot go? And it's just like taxing the shit out of these big uh, sodas that they did in New York. It's the government deciding for you what's best for you, but instead of just banning it outright, they'll say, okay, well, here's your excessive tax. Now, pay me or don't get to enjoy it. However, I think he got shot down for this one. From the Hill, infrastructure bill won't include mileage tax, DOT spokesperson. From Michael Schnell, the Biden admin is looming infrastructure bill will not include a mileage tax, the New York Times reported on Saturday, citing a transportation department spokesman. The development comes days after the Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, on Friday, said that attacks on how far travelers go would be a promising way to fund the infrastructure bill, which reports say could be as large as $3 trillion. 
But don't worry, we're not going to tax the middle class. All of this is, is a way to prevent poor people from fucking traveling. I think it shows a lot of promise, Buttigieg said. If we believe that the so-called user pays principle, the idea that part of how we pay for the roads is how, uh, you pay based on how much you drive. The gas tax is the obvious way to do it. It's not anymore, he continued. So, a so-called vehicle miles travel tax, or mileage tax, whatever you call it, could be the next way to do it. And the next thing you know, you've got a Qualcomm on your fucking car. Otherwise, you might be able to cheat the system. Let's see if there's any more to this than what uh, we just heard. I want to start to uh, No, we're not going to go for four minutes and listen to this asshole. So, yes. Make it more expensive for poor people, well, make it more expensive for everyone to travel, but the rich people can afford it, and it's going to be another hardship for poor people. Aren't you excited? <clears throat> All right. I want to talk just a bit about uh, what's going on in Georgia, but I don't have a like a regular article for this. A um, couple of the boycott stuff here, but uh, one of the things that blew up over the weekend and the reason that we're talking about the Georgia election rules as a main topic on the Red Ned Show tonight, rather than uh, just a touch on it, quick lightning round topic, is because the internet fucking blew up this weekend, talking about the fact that you might not be allowed to bring water to somebody in a voting line. How cruel are you? Because they just keep making these lines longer and longer. First off, you've bought the propaganda, if you believe that that's what's going on with this. You have absolutely 100% bought propaganda, because that's not what any of this is. What's going on in Georgia, the specific uh, provision that they're citing in this bill that, uh, that Governor Kemp just passed, right before he's up for re-election, by the way, keep that in mind, was to curb voter intimidation. You're not allowed to go up to somebody in a voter line to intimidate them into voting one way or another, or question them on how they're going to vote, or try to convince them. In the, you're not allowed to politic in the voting line, but... We do have people who will come up and do this. And I have seen this happen. You know, I didn't always live in small-town America where I'm in and out in three minutes, like I am when I go to vote now. I've lived in the city. I've lived in Kenosha. And I've seen a long line at the voting place. And people will go up to other people and say, Hey, this is, uh, this is why you need to vote for this person. Think of what's going on with this. And like I said, politicking in a voting line is illegal. We talked about that with Kamala Harris, who never got her cunt slapped over it. When she was in Ohio doing the same thing, politicking in front of a polling place uh, within, I believe it's 150 feet of the polling place. So politicking to the people who are in line. That's illegal. That's illegal in most states. It's not illegal in every state. It's illegal in most states, though. But what a lot of people would do to try and sidestep this, especially if you're sitting in a municipality that's got a long line because the municipalities feel that they have to do everything in one place. So then you can go to politic in one line where they'll come out and instead of having a person just approach you in the line and say, hey, vote for candidate A. Here's what he needs to do. He'll come up with a bottle of water. I have a bottle of water over here that I can do this in. Well, I'll use this empty bang can that I have sitting over on my desk right now. Well, he'll come up to you in line and say, Hey, I see you're uh, 
waiting in line for a long time. You probably need this refreshment here. And hey, while you're at it, have you heard of what candidate B has promised for the infrastructure and what he's going to do for your neighborhood? That's what he's seeking to prevent. And then voter intimidation up on top of it, where instead of trying to bribe people with a bottle of water, it's more of a, you do this or something bad might happen to your neighborhood. <clears throat> but Veterans for Liberty, I completely went off the topic of this. The New York AG is actually looking to sue Georgia for the fact that they're putting these laws into place. This is in New York election law uh, code 17-140. Any person who, in respect of any election during the hours of voting, gives or provides or causes to be given or provided or shall pay wholly or in part for any meat, drink, tobacco, refreshments, or provision to or for any person other than poll workers and other voting officials, except any such meat, drink, tobacco, refreshment, or provision having a retail value of less than $1, which is given or provided to any person in a polling place without any identification of the person or entity supplying such provisions, is guilty of a Class A misdemeanor. Which means, to shorten this up for you guys, what Letitia James is claiming she wants to go and sue Brian Kemp over is already illegal in New York. But with that, we've got to keep going. Uh, from NBC News, calls for economic boycott grow after Georgia adopts voter restrictions. From Dennis Romero, following Georgia's approval of new voter restrictions Thursday, a number of voices are considering a boycott of state businesses. The Republican spearheaded legislation, which imposes an ID requirement for mail-in voters, has been criticized by President Biden as a blatant attack on the Constitution and a good conscience. One of the loudest voices belonging to Bishop Reginald Jackson of the AME Church's 6th Episcopal District, who told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that he's calling for a boycott of Coca-Cola products until the company declares strong opposition to the new law. Which, once again, Coke can't catch a fucking break here. Because the left is pissed at Coke for the fact that they went out and passed all these big voting restrictions. What was the right pissed at him for? The right was pissed at him too, and I can't remember why, but that was recent. They were pissed off at them for, oh, the um, the white fragility and sensitivity training, where try to be less white. The right was pissed off at him for that. And right girl problems is trying to drink less Coke. Coke is just fucking getting it from all sides at this point. Which you should never be drinking Coca-Cola to begin with because you put a nail, a galvanized nail, in a bowl of Coca-Cola and it's gone in a week. You're putting that in your body. Nobody should be drinking Coca-Cola to begin with. But they also did uh, Delta Airlines too. There was one other one that they did and I didn't notate it. But uh, I know it was Coke, it was Delta Airlines. People were coming out saying to boycott those companies because they didn't, say, they didn't speak out against Kemp trying to tighten up the election laws. I don't even know if they advocated for it, but they didn't speak out against it and they're Georgia-based companies. So now we have to go and boycott them. And I may or may not have looked into, I haven't purchased anything yet because I have so much else that I have to do if I ever want to travel, but I may or may not have priced out uh, flights from Madison, Wisconsin to Salt Lake City, Utah to go and hike the, uh, the Red Rocks via Delta Airlines. Now, I'm actually not going to go fly Delta Airlines because 
you know, the mask and the commie fucking coup vaccine passport and all the other bullshit that they have going on there. Ain't gonna happen. But I priced it out. So with that, that's what's happening out down in Georgia. Uh, Steve Daines got into the news, Montana senator, for, you know what, let's just listen. The flood of Mexican meth, Mexican heroin, Mexican fentanyl. 20 years ago in Montana, meth was homemade. It was homegrown. And it had purity levels less than 30%. Today, the meth that is getting into Montana is Mexican cartel. The flood of Mexican meth. Back in my day, son, our meth was homegrown. And it was only 30% pure. Think about the good old days, son. Yes, he actually said that. Uh, following up with the New York Post on this, Montana Senator Steve Daines touts state's homegrown meth during border visit from Sarah Dorn. Ah, the good old days when meth in America was homegrown. Montana Senator Steve Daines is being mocked for reminiscing about the homemade methamphetamines while discussing the immigration crisis. 20 years ago in Montana, meth was homemade. It was homegrown, the Republican congressman said at the border on Friday. You had purity levels less than 30%. Today, that meth is getting into Montana as Mexican cartel, and its purity is north of 95%, far more dangerous, far more addictive, and it's less expensive. Ah, oh, the good old days, son, when I wanted to have meth back in the day. It cost me a bunch more, and I had to be, you know, it was a once in a, it's, it was a once in a while thing. Now they're making it cheap. It's so pure. It's so addictive. You can have it all the time. But back in my days, I can't believe that's the direction that he went off of this. I, I wanted to be a fly on the wall in the meeting between him and his PR guy after that happened. Because I want to hear what the two of them said back and forth to each other. we got to keep going. A uh, couple of dark things to talk about. From NBC News, Baltimore will no longer prosecute drug possession, prostitution, and low-level crimes. From John Shoopy. But hey, if you go outside for six feet without your mask on, you're going to the fucking can. A year ago, the coronavirus began to spread across Maryland. Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby stopped prosecuting drug possession, prostitution, minor traffic violations, and other low-level offensive, a move aimed at curbing COVID-19 spread behind bars. That shift, repeated by prosecutors in many other cities, didn't just reduce jail populations in Baltimore. Nearly all categories of crime have since declined, confirming to Mosby what she and criminal justice experts have argued for years. Crackdowns on quality of life, Crimes are not necessary for stopping more serious crime. On Friday, Mosby announced that she was making her pandemic experiment permanent, saying Baltimore, for decades notorious for runaway violence and rough policing, had become a case study for criminal justice reform. 
In 12 months since she ordered uh, scaled back enforcement, violent crime is down 20% and property crime has declined 36%. She said homicides inched down. There it is. I lost my place for a second. Though Baltimore still has one of the highest homicide rates among cities nationwide, researchers at Johns Hopkins University found sharp reductions in calls to police complaining about drugs and prostitution, she said. You know what? This is all well and good. And good on you for taking the initiative. Drug possession, prostitution, low-level crimes, absolutely. Now, I don't see any calls to change the laws in some of this stuff. They're just taking care of the policing of this, but it's still against the law in most places, which means that if it's somebody that the police or the particular municipality doesn't care for, then they can still turn around and slap them and say, Oh, hey, is that a joint that I see? Oh, well, I can't do anything about this. This is still against the law. I got to enforce this this time. Why not go further than this? Instead of changing the enforcement, change the law. Change the law. And I will say it one more time. Change the law. Your laws should be don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Those are the only laws that you should have on the books. But I mean, good on you for taking a good first step on this. Getting the police out of these, some of these neighborhoods for little, little fucking bullshit that they don't need to be enforcing. Once again, I still don't care for the fact that it's, it's still illegal because, you know, that's, that's something they can lean, lean on you for. You know, they tag your license plate. They say, oh, this guy said something nasty about me on social media. Let's go talk to him for a sec. Hey, is that a joint in your car? Don't you know that's illegal, huh? <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of stuff to go along with this. I am in favor of this. I am. And we'll see what happens with it. All right, but we got to keep going here. So that's the victimless crime that we're talking about. Let's talk about the crime that has victims here. So a couple things that got completely glossed over in the news over the weekend... Uh, two dead, other eight others injured, rather, after shootings in Virginia Beach Oceanfront. From WAVY out of Norfolk, Virginia. Excuse me. Police confirmed there are two people dead and numerous others injured after multiple shootings, one of which was officer-involved at the Virginia Beach Oceanfront on Friday night. Saturday afternoon, police identified the two people who were killed. Additionally, three people were arrested and charged in connection with one of the shooting incidents. Police said in a statement Saturday that three separate shooting events took place on the evening of March 26th at the Virginia Beat Resort area. VBPD scheduled a media briefing Saturday at 8 p.m. Police Chief Paul Newdigate said the preliminary count for the number of people shot Friday is 10. A man was killed by police, a woman died from other gunfire, and eight were injured. The eight people's injuries ranged from serious to life-threatening. Newdigate said police officers were on patrol to an initial shooting at 20th Street and Atlantic Avenue. Dispatchers said the calls came in around 11.20 p.m. Eastern Time. Newdigate said numerous shots were fired and several people were injured. 
Initial investigations into the incident revealed that a group of individuals were involved in some type of conflict, which turned into a physical altercation. At some point during the altercation, Virginia police, police said the uh, several individuals produced firearms and began shooting at each other, resulting in injuries. And this is all well and good. They're going on with this and talking about what happened in Virginia Beach, which they didn't talk about at all throughout the weekend here. We never saw the Twitter trend. The only reason I saw this is because uh, Buffy Illegally Bay over on Twitter pointed it out, and it was before all the rest of the Twitter hype got up there, so I was able to catch the article and throw it in articles worth investigating before Twitter turned into its cesspool for the day. I caught it really, really early in the morning. I don't know if I have to tell you this or not, but the shooters were not white, which is part of the reason you did not hear anything about this. Now, all loss of life is tragic, especially under a mass shooting event. And I will throw the Fs up. In fact, I'll throw one in the chat right now. F in the chat. F in the chat for the people who lost their lives in Virginia Beach over the weekend. Because it's horrifying, the fact that it happened. But it's, it's the media narrative that we talk about. Now, yes, we hear about Robert, Robert Long down in Georgia. We hear about that for almost a week. Up until the news found something else to be bored about. Because he was white and he predominantly shot at people who were not white. But we never hear about what happens in Chicago because, oh, that's apparently gang related. We didn't hear about this one for, well, we know why we didn't hear about this one. You know, all the stuff that's going on in Miami right now, it's it is selective. The news is trying to feed you a narrative. There is more going on than what CNN is trying to tell you at this point. And even Fox News, none of them covered this either. So, our thoughts and prayers are contemporary. Go out to the victims of the shooting and their families. May their recovery be strong and swift. And may the ones whose life-threatening injuries are life-threatening recover and pull through. But yes, this is, under any other circumstance... This would have been front-page news, and we'd have been hearing about this, especially in the wake of the Boulder shooting. But here we sit. This Uber Eats story is just fucking bizarre to me. Warning, video may be disturbing to some viewers, which means that this video is going to be age-restricted once it gets replayed out on YouTube. Shocking video shows deadly DC Uber Eats carjacking by teen girls. Graphic new video shows the moment two teenage girls allegedly carjacked a 66-year-old Uber Eats driver this week in southeast D.C. before speeding away and crashing, leaving the victim for dead near the wreckage. Why not? Today, family gathered to honor the life of a Virginia man murdered during a botched carjacking in the district. A prayer service was held for 66-year-old Muhammad Anwar at his mosque. His funeral was Friday. He was killed while making a delivery for Uber Eats, and his death has received worldwide attention after police say two teenage girls stole his car and crashed it near Nats Park on Tuesday. Our Lindsay Watts has been following this. She's live where it happened tonight. And Lindsay, you have some new details about the case. Lauren, first I have to say there has been an outpouring of support for the Anwar family. A GoFundMe has raised over $600,000 in just 
four days, there has been a huge amount of attention and outrage about what happened right here. And that's partially because of a video of the carjacking that went viral this weekend. We're going to show you some of that, but I do want to warn you, it is incredibly disturbing. This video has been viewed millions of times on Twitter alone. You see Mohammed Anwar next to his car. The teen girls are inside. He says, this is my car. And the driver hits the gas as Anwar clings to the door. And then... She's stealing their car. She's stealing the car. Yeah, we called the cops. Call the cops. Call the cops. The horrifying sound of the crash. The man filming runs there. You see members of the National Guard helping the girls from the car. Anwar is alone on the sidewalk after he was thrown from the vehicle. You can hear one of the girls saying, my phone's in there, as she tries to go back to the car. DC police tell us they are aware of this video. Our victim in this case, you know, he has a loving family that are missing him dearly. And then on the, on the other side of this, we have uh, two uh, young people that are facing well, you really couldn't see anything off of that one, but I mean, I don't know where that was disturbing, but even still, that's... I'm speechless off of that. I gotta throw another F for, uh, for Amar, because that's, uh, you know, the guy's just out there trying to make a living. He really is. And we saw this with the protests, too. I mean, a lot of the people... A lot of the businesses that burned in 2016 during the Trump protests were minority-owned and even immigrant-owned businesses in D.C. They were all over the place. People were smashing out the windows, destroying limos. The one dude, that's all that he had was his limo and his business. That's legitimately all that he owned at the time. And here the dude is. He, he's clinging on for dear life because that's how he makes his living, living out of his Uber Eats car. This girl is trying to take it away from him, and he's just trying to be out there making a living, and it cost him his life over it. So, and yes, that's a viral video, but I haven't seen a lot of news. Uh, well, I have seen some news stories about this, but only because the video went viral. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have seen this one either. The girls, said to be 13 and 15, were allegedly armed with stun guns. The teens are charged with felony murder and armed carjacking. Their next court date is Wednesday, March 31st. So, that's what we saw from that. All right. Let's grab this one here from the hill. We got just a few more here, then we'll do something that restores my faith in humanity, which we need after that, and then head on out of here for the day. Utah governor signs legislation requiring porn filters on cell phones and tablets. From Jordan Williams. Utah Governor Spencer Cox signed a bill on Tuesday requiring porn filters on cell phones and tablets, the Associated Press reports. The bill, HB 72, is aimed at establishing filter requirements and enforcement for tablets and smartphones activated in the state on or after January 1st of the year. The measure takes effect according to its text. Manufacturers that don't abide by the law could face fines of $10 for each violation with a cap of $500. At least five other states have to pass the measure for it to take effect, however. Okay, so this isn't just going to be in Utah. This is going to be for the whole thing. 
for the whole country. No, I don't care for this. A spokesperson for Cox previously told the AP that he would carefully consider the bill during the signing period. The bill sponsor, Representative Susan Pullishper, said that she was grateful that Cox signed the bill, which she said was aimed at keeping porn away from children, the AP notes. She also noted that parents could take the filters off. Jason Groth, an attorney for the American Civil Liberties Union of Utah, told the news service that the measure was another example of the legislature dodging the constitutional impacts of the legislation they, could, uh, they passed. He further said the bill's constitutionality will likely be argued in court. Utah has been trying to curb pornography in the state for years. Now, I am actually really confused by this because I... No, that is within the state. Then why would five other states have to pass the measure? I don't understand that. I don't actually understand how that would work. Why, why other states have to be involved with that? I mean, if that's what Utah wants to do, then that's what Utah wants to do. And they've got a very, very Mormon population. So absolutely, they can do that. And I think that would appeal to their Mormon population. It's blatantly against the First Amendment. What consenting adults want to do, whether it be what they want to do on the video or the people who want to watch it, and the people who are providing the video. As long as everybody's consenting in the situation, I don't see a problem with this. But yes, I understand the ease of access that it is uh, that it has for children as well. So I guess don't move to Utah if you want to watch porn on your phone because it looks like this one's happening. All right, let's keep going from the Daily Mail. Interesting story coming up on the George Floyd case, which the trial starts today, by the way. Duke University launches investigation after a printout of George Floyd's toxicology report was pinned to Black History Month display. Uh, this is from Mary Kikatos for DailyMail.com. Duke University has launched an investigation after a printout of George Floyd's toxicology report was pinned to a Black History Month display. The flyer, which insinuated that Floyd died of a drug overdose, appeared next to a photo of him Saturday on a bulletin board on the third floor of a dormitory. Each compound in his system was underlined with pink pen. At the top was written, Mix of drugs presents in difficulty breathing. Overdose? Good man. Use of fake currency is a felony. That last part I don't agree with, because it shouldn't be a felony. When Floyd was confronted by the Minneapolis Police Department in May of 2020, he was accused of having used counterfeit $20 bill at a grocery store. An autopsy report from the Hennepin County Medical Examiner concluded that Floyd died of cardiopulmonary arrest and neck compression. The report noted that fentanyl was in Floyd's system at the time, but did not attribute to the drug... Uh, Attribute the drug as a cause of death. A second autopsy report ordered by Floyd's family found that he died of asphyxiation from sustained pressure after former officer Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Freshman student Matt Moan told CNN that he first saw the printout on a billboard around noon on Saturday. He said the flyer was taken down about 30 minutes after he texted his building's group chat and his resident advisor notified the school. All of a sudden, someone comes up and is essentially sticking a thumb in the face of every black person, saying his life didn't matter, that he was, wasn't a good person because of a $20 bill, Moan said. That's not what he said at all. 
And if you're going to be a collectivist like that, then I'm going to call you the racist that you are. Because if you are going to be that collectivist, you are a fucking racist. Absolutely are. If saying something bad about George Floyd is saying something about bad about all black people, then we are back to where we were pre-Civil War in the South. I'm sorry. But we will see what happens off this trial, which starts today. So let's keep going. I got another one here from The Hill. U.S. offers assistance to free ship from Suez Canal from Morgan Chalfant. The U.S. has offered assistance to Egyptian officials to help dislodge a cargo ship that is stuck in the Suez Canal, the White House said on Friday. As part of our active uh, diplomatic dialogue with Egypt, we've offered the U.S. assistance to Egyptian authorities to help reopen the canal. We are consulting with our Egyptian partners about how we can best support these efforts, the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki circled back to at a briefing Friday afternoon. When asked about the situation, those conversations are ongoing. Saki did not offer further details on the assistance offered. CNN is reporting that the U.S. Navy is preparing to send dredging assessment to the canal to advise Egyptian authorities on to how to dislodge the vessel. We have offered and stand ready to assist Egypt and will look to support any specific requests we receive, Pentagon spokesperson Commander Jessica L. McNulty said in a statement. We continue to monitor and assess the situation, but have nothing to provide on any potential specific support at the time. And this may be moot, because while the canal is not completely unblocked yet, and the ship is still sitting there blocking everything up, it appears that we've at least got the sh uh, ship somewhat freed at this point. From CNN, ever given ship partially freed from the Suez Canal, authority confirms. From Asma Khalil, Mustafa Salem, Magni Saman, and Jesse Ewing. The Ever Given container ship has partially dislodged after blocking the Suez Canal for almost a week, authorities say, but efforts to fully refloat it are likely to continue for some time. These were promising signs early Monday when the rear of the vessel was freed from one of the canal's banks, but the boss of the Dutch company working on the operation says it will, uh, its bow is still stuck rock solid. Egyptian officials struck a more optimistic tone, saying that crews plan to refloat the vessel later on Monday. But the shipping crisis that has dominated headlines and captured the world's attention for a week appears destined to continue. Peter Berdowski, CEO of Boscalis, whose sister company, SMIT Salvage, is working to free the ship, said the vessel has been rotated about 20 degrees, that it's actually the easiest part, he told Dutch Radio on Monday morning. Moving the bow away from the canal bank, where it remains stuck in sandy clay, will be more difficult, he added. You think any of our Pentagon leaders are looking at this and saying, just blow the thing up. Just blow it up. So with that, it looks like, and we actually may even have some passage there too, some uh, passable ability. You see the tugboats there and you see, I don't know how passable this water is. But from what we've seen from this, from what we've seen from the Suez Canal and what's gone off of this and the fact that the Ever Given got there and got wedged, in the first place, is that it may actually be time to start to rethink this project. Now, the Suez Canal, I believe, has been there since the early part of the 19th century, has it not? 
for shipping off of this time. And look at what's happened since then. I mean, ships are huge now compared to what they were at the time. And yes, the Ever Given could go through there side to side, but just that one little gust of wind spun it and popped it and wedged it in the middle there. I know a lot of conspiracy theorists are out there saying that, no, they just don't want people to look in the containers right now. What's in the containers over there? Which, definitely a good idea to think about is what's in the containers with a, on the ship. But regardless of what conspiracy theory you want to join on to and what happened with this, on the engineering side, Styx put this well. I listened to this on Saturday morning over on uh, Styx's channel, and uh, he put up a great thought to this that it might be actually time. And I actually suggested this when I first heard about this too, but I didn't suggest the U.S. getting involved with this. He actually suggested the U.S. getting involved with this on top of this, as that it may be time to rethink the width of this canal and go through a major project to go and rebuild, widen the canal so we don't have to go through this again, uh, restructure the sides of the canal, and just open this up so we can get more traffic up through this because this is such an important shipping lane for the world, for the entire world. It might be time to go do that, and yes, the U.S. should absolutely do this. Instead of sending our military out to go and try to hold war-torn Afghanistan or war-torn Iran or war-torn Iraq, let's go over to Egypt and do a favor for the world. And think of the diplomatic ties that we can forge. Think of the peace we could forge across the, uh, across the world. If we went in there and said, okay, we've got our engineers here. We will, we will do the brunt of the work. We will design this new canal redesign, and we will open this up. Open the shipping lane up. So you can get four, more ships through there, more tolls, more whatever it is that you want to do with the Suez Canal. But we will open this back up for you because it's time. We've, we've seen the failure of the width of this canal. Let's do this. And let's do it on a diplomatic sense. Hey, Egypt, we're going to come help you with this. So let's open up some big trade negotiations, too. All right. So that's what we see for that. Uh, a little bit of bad news from overseas. From CBS News. A day of terror and dishonor. Myanmar forces killed dozens of people, including children, in what may be the deadliest day since the coup. From Lee Cohen. Police and soldiers reportedly killed dozens of people, including children, across Myanmar on Saturday, as the military celebrated the 76th annual Armed Forces Day in the capital with a parade. The online news site Myanmar... Now, reported late Saturday that the death toll had reached 114, according to the AP, account issued by an independent researcher in Yangon, who has been compiling near-real-time death tolls, put the total at 107, spread over more than two dozen cities and towns. A previous high for estimated deaths in a single day took, stood between 74 and 90 on March 14th, the AP reported. Myanmar now also reported dozens of injuries, including a one-year-old baby in Tamin, Yangon, who was reportedly shot in the eye with a rubber bullet. The baby was playing near the armed forces when they were shot, according to Myanmar now. Another local outlet, the Ira Irawadi, said the death toll, which it reported was at least 59, included four children ages 5, 10, 13, and 15. CBS News has not independently confirmed how many people were killed. 
How long do you think before we're in this theater too? Especially, I mean, when I put the story into uh, the Discord to market so I could uh, bring it back for today's show, Midget B put it uh, very, very, very mildly. In before chemical weapons of mass destruction. I mean, we've gone into a foreign country for less. So keep your eyes on Myanmar as we decide, well, our military decides what they're going to do with this. All right, I got a tweet here from the Generational Gap. So remember last week when we talked about uh, Amazon and I told you about some of the conditions that we see from the Amazon facility in Kenosha. It's all hearsay for me, once again. But somebody looked at this and screenshotted uh, what Amazon News had to say. And the generational gap shared it back out, so I thought I'd give them some attention too. At the Gen Gap P, if you're over on Twitter, go follow them. But Azure tweets out, Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. You don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing, do you? I thought you guys would enjoy that. I enjoyed it. All right, last one. Then we'll do something that restores my faith in humanity. Right after we destroy my faith in humanity, because I'm a car guy, and this is... I mean, this is one of the best parts of the car show. East Austin Car Club members rally in support of Sunday tradition. From Carissa Lemkul. Out of Fox 7. Gathering on Sunday afternoons in Chicano Park has been a decades-long tradition for many in the East Austin community. I've been coming out here to Chicano Park since I was three, said Edward Castillo. Since then, I started to bring my son. He's come here his whole life. I've been here 20 minutes and seen like five or six of my cousins. They gather to show off their cars, but it's more than that for those they attend. I've been low-riding since 78, 79 here in Chicano Park, said John, uh, John Colunga with the Barrio Car Club. Everyone eats for free, everyone brings something, and so it's like a community thing. Families, different car clubs, but a big old car club together. Even Mayor Adler stopped by on Sunday, along with the city leaders. I think what's happening here is part of Austin's history and part of our culture and finding a way to preserve and protect it. He said, this is a wonderful way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Across the street at the Weaver, some apartment residents have reportedly complained about noise or other issues stemming from the meetups. However, those who gather on Sunday don't think it's fair. We will continue to keep our legacy going for generations to come Keviva Chicano Park, said Bertha Rendon Delgado at a press conference held there Sunday. She serves as a president of the East Lake Citizens Neighborhood Associations as well as commissioner of the City of Austin Housing in 78702. So what's going on in Austin right now is a war between apartment residents and a lowriders club who, yes, lowrider clubs make a lot of noise. Old cars make a lot of noise. But this is, this is a tradition as well that's been going on since the 70s. Over 40 years they've been doing this. And now people are starting to have a problem with it. Now, I understand where you'll go into a place and you'll expect them to cater out to you. But I mean, especially if you're local to Austin, 
it's probable that you already know that this is going on here. And yes, the people should have the freedom to gather in the area as they see fit. They're not hurting anybody. Yes, I understand that it's noisy. I understand that. But if, if this has been going on for 40 years, you knew what you were coming into when you moved into the apartment. You knew what was coming. You signed that lease knowing full, full well that Chicano Park hosts these car events. And you were accepting what happened outside on a Sunday afternoon. So, that's what we have going on here. I do hope that the car club wins because, well, I'm a car guy. I'm naturally going to be on their side. But even still, it's tradition. We want to preserve some of our traditions to keep going on. And even the mayor is involved, so I'm very happy to see that. All right, and that's going to be it for the news for the day here. We have got to uh, hop on out of here. But before we do that, it's been almost two hours. I've done almost a two-hour contemporary. This whole Monday thing, they just keep trying to jam more shit in. It's a good thing I don't work on Monday, though, because I'd be late for work right now if I did. But uh, the last thing that we do on a Monday is we do something that uh, restores my faith in humanity. And I think about a lot of the stuff here. A lot of the stuff that I'm going to be doing coming up in the next few weeks is going to involve the charity stream that's coming up. Because it's really, really, really important to me. And just looking at this. Now, seeing Elaine come in and take charge of this to try and make this as big as humanly possible has taken a huge load off of me. Because I thought... When I came into this, I was, and I was fully expecting to do this, I was prepared to do this as well. It was going to be just me for 24 hours, sitting in front of the microphone, talking to a few of my friends, you know, just kind of what we've had on Freedom Scoop for charity events before. They've been great events, and they've been small potatoes. We have small YouTube channels. So we can raise some money for this stuff, but it's, always, it's usually a small potato thing. But now, coming out and turning this into something massive... Which we have. I mean, I've looked at the guest list. We're starting to get organized. We're starting to get scheduled. We have to schedule this. Because there are so many people here who want to help the cause here. I mean, we see greed. We see people in apartment buildings that try to shut down tradition. We see people out here who want to see the gas prices go up. We, want, we see people who want to take more money out of the government, spend money on infrastructure, and tax the hell out of people not knowing that it's going to come down to them. And yet we can still come down and see people come together to try and save human life. Humanity is going in a very, 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 very bad spiral, but there's still good in it. My faith in humanity is restored. We, we can come together. We can raise money for suicide prevention, which is it's such an important topic to me. This is. This absolutely is. And we will raise money for suicide prevention. And we will help in whatever way we can to make sure that this is slowed. I mean, you're never going to take the evil out of people. You're never going to take the mental illness out of people. But you can at least curb it at some, to some level. Slow it down. Give people options so that they, so they don't have to look at that as their last possible option. So they've got steps to get to between. My faith in humanity is restored by the number of people who, people I've never even met who have come together to put this event together. I'm very happy for the fact that it's coming together and we will see you on the 17th for that. And we're going to head out of here. So 
Let's throw some music up and let's go. And thanks everybody who came by and chatted in the live chat today and came and hung out with us. We will be back here later on tonight with the Red and Ed show, which we'll be talking about some of the gun violence, the Boulder shooting, uh, the Suez Canal, the Georgia voting law, all kinds of fun stuff that's going on there. So looking forward to seeing you guys here tonight with my wonderful co-host, Elaine, as well. Hope to join. Um, hope to have you join there. And we do take live chat in between topics as well. So definitely looking forward to that. Hope to see you guys there. Otherwise, we'll be back here 7.45 a.m. tomorrow morning for more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Take care.